Good afternoon, everyone. It is episode 74 of the Williams Project podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be diving deep and discussing the share market. Well, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another great episode of your favourite podcast, or hopefully your favourite podcast. Um, I think with the events over the last few weeks, we have seen a lot about Wall Street and GameStop and Bitcoin and all the likes of that. We thought it was time to talk about something other than property and business and uh, discuss the share market. Yeah, so just so you guys are aware, I don't think you probably understand how unscripted these podcasts are. Like the only thing we agree on is a topic and then it's just Blair and I for 20 minutes having a discussion. So I think legally before we talk about the stock market, we actually have to say this isn't financial advice and we aren't financial advisors. So we don't have any bureaucrats having a crack at us. Um, But this is just a discussion between two property dudes and what we think of the stock market. So, Blair, can you start with the framework of what happened with this GameStop incident? Um, And then we'll talk a little bit about that and what we think, and then maybe just the share market in general. Yeah, absolutely. So to start off with as far as what the share market is, most of you probably do know, but it is a mechanism where there are companies listed on the stock exchange, and you can buy shares in those companies, essentially giving you a tiny piece of ownership or a large piece on how much you buy and then well, I would say all people's intention is they invest in a company whose performance should go up increasing the company's value and then essentially the share price goes up and then you can sell them and make profit if that makes sense yeah, yeah. Makes well, sense. complete sense so what happened with GameStop and I'm probably going to butch the hell out of this because although Matthew and I are very intelligent shares are not our strong point either but In Wall Street and in most stock exchanges, you can do what's called shorting a stock. And that's essentially where you're actually betting your money on instead of the share price going up, you're betting on the share price going down. And more or less this person, not sure how or where or how many of them, discovered that these big US hedge funds were shorting GameStop, more or less going, this is a washed up company, it's probably going to go broke because of coronavirus and people now buy games online, they don't walk into the shop and buy it. And... The best way to fix a short is for everyone to buy shares driving the price up and then essentially the shares that the hedge funds have bought have to then be paid at the new price, not the decreased price. So it's the opposite of they want to happen. And this guy posted on Reddit, that sort of online marketplace full of like memes and just weird videos, kind of like a mix of 9gag, TikTok and Facebook all mashed into one. And... They just started rallying this share saying, buy GameStop, buy GameStop, we're going to bankrupt Wall Street. And I wouldn't say they've done it or bankrupted Wall Street, but there's these huge hedge funds which have lost tens of billions of dollars and that are still stuck in their short position and can't get out unless the share price drops from $300 right back down to about 25 Yeah, so... and. I think it's probably important to discuss that these investors that are making these purchases, they are not doing it because they think GameStop's work, Game Shop, Game Shop, Game Shop, Game Shop. I think they don't think Game Shop's worth whatever horrendous market cap it's now valued at. This is just a bet against the establishment, right? So it's currently selling for three hundred and twenty-five US dollars a share. We just got brought that up, and that gives it a market cap. <laughs> Holy shit! It can't. It can't be right. Is that 250 billion? No, four. It's just heaps. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think more or less before um, before this all to- took off, GameStop was trading around like 
about $10 a share. And say Wallstrom, I go, we think this company's going to fail and we're going to short it at $5 a share. And essentially they make a whole lot of money when the shares drop from 10 to $5. Now the share price is at $325 a share. They're just hemorrhaging cash. And what's really interesting, like in New Zealand, we have an app called Sharesies to buy and sell. Well, it's what sort of the general public would use to buy and sell shares. In America, there's a really um, big app called Robinhood. And after um, these hedge funds started losing billions of dollars, this Robinhood app actually just stopped people's ability to buy shares. And sure enough, as soon as they did that, the game God, I need to watch GameStop. The GameStop shares started falling because no one could actually physically go in and buy them and keep the price pumped up. And now there's all these lawsuits against Robinhood. And then it came out that Robinhood is actually partially owned by one of the hedge funds that's losing all this money. So it's just a real clusterfuck. Yeah, so let's talk about that, right? So I believe, I think we both believe in free markets and free people. And I think any time a lawmaker or a, a trading entity does something to restrict free markets, I think that's wrong. Yeah, I well, think if people want to put their money into a share, people should have the right to make that decision. And I think there's also US lawmakers that were, uh, were trying to stop this happening. And it's just completely what we stand against in the Western world. Like my opinion of the Western world is you do you and I'll do me. And as long as me doing me doesn't affect you doing you and as long as you doing you doesn't affect me doing me, we're fine. And these people completely have the right to buy the share. They have the right to pump up the stock and fuck Wall Street in the ass. Yeah. Like, why shouldn't they? Well, and it's, what's quite funny is they sort of say... Oh, that was probably a bit crude. I well, they sort of say, oh, it's, it's market manipulation because everyone's talking online about buying this stock and it's not real, it's not sustainable, it's all... Um, it's not insider trading, but it's essentially market manipulation telling a massive group of, I think it's like 7 million followers to buy a specific share. But on the flip side, that's more or less exactly what Wall Street's been doing year after year after year, just instead of 7 million people, it's been a very small amount of people, but with the same amount of money as those other 7 million. Bang on, yeah. So if you essentially have 10 hedge fund traders that all know the same deal they're going to do, it's it's the same thing. Like yeah. Wall Street's been pumping and dumping stocks since forever. Like watch the Wolf of Wall Street. So the flip side of that is since, obviously I said Robinhood shut down their app to buy and sell those shares and all sorts of other regulations have now sort of come out to try slow this down. Now, cryptocurrencies are going ballistic because they're, I wouldn't say completely unregulated, but they more or less are. They can't turn the trading on or off. They can't shut down all the different exchanges you can buy and sell them in. And now, I wouldn't say the world's realising it, but a big group of people are realising that Wall Street is far more controlled than what they thought. They thought it was a free market. You buy your shares, you sell your shares, might make some money, might lose some money. And now this GameStop thing sort of really highlighted all the mani manipulation that's usually happening to the, the common person while the hedge funds make the money. Yeah, completely agree. And there's also other things like there's flash traders where people essentially, they can see the orders coming and they buy and sell trades before your order hits the desk because they essentially have systems that can complete trades in milliseconds where you're trying to do trades in seconds so they can get in ahead of you um, and manipulate the stock and clip a margin on the way through. Because the other way Wall Street does it, so I'm a big hedge fund with a couple of billion, and say I think GameStop's actually a really good company, I'll go buy up as many shares as I want to, and then I'll write some big fancy article about how GameStop's the next big company, I really recommend you buy it. I'll go interview with CNN, Fox News about how GameStop's this amazing thing. 
even though I locked in my position before I pumped up how fantastic it is. Yeah, agreed. That's usually how Wall Street operates. So now let's talk about company values because I think this is a really interesting discussion. So normally what I use to value a company is called a PE ratio, so price over earnings. And the reason I use that benchmark is it's probably the easiest for my brain to understand. So let's remove publicly listed companies for a second, remove shares and stocks. If I was going to go buy a cafe, right, the PE ratio I would probably be paying um, is two. So let's say that cafe is making um, $100,000 a year um, and then I buy that, that cafe, I would pay probably 200000 for it. Now, what happens is when you have a public listed company, you have a significantly higher PE ratio, right? So what's happening is the general public is saying, this company's big, it's safe, it's got lots of governance, so I'm comfortable with a lower PE ratio. So you, you still to see, as an average in the stock market, you see PE ratios anywhere from, say, 20 to 30, Something yeah, like that. Like, uh, cause I suppose the two different things we're trying to explain is there's two kinds of share market investing. One's the extremely volatile, get on the bandwagon, the pump and dump shares, same with the cryptocurrencies. And the other is actually the more astute version, the sort of Warren Buffett version of break down the company that you think is a good company, look at what it's valued at now, look at what the plan is for the future, and then ask yourself, if I just buy these shares and sit on them for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, should this company be doing better and be worth more versus I'm going to buy them at 11 a.m. and sell them at 4 p.m. and hope it's gone up 40%. Yeah, the term's value investing. So value investing is when you look at a company and you say, in 10 years from now, this company is going to be a significantly better company than it is today um, and I want to own a percentage of this company for the next 10 years. I know they're probably, their forecast to have a, a 5% dividend a year, so I'm making a 5% cash return, and I'm quite confident I might get a, a 5 to 10% um, increase on my stock price um, every year, so I'm making 10 to 15%, and I'm really comfortable investing $50,000 and making my 10 to 15% return, 5% cash, 5 to 10% in growth over the next um, 10 years. Yeah, a good example was that Warren Buffett quote you said earlier oh. about um, if the market... Oh, yeah. if Warren Buffett, there's two quotes that I liked Warren Buffett saying. He said, if the market only opened once a year, I would be just as happy as I am today. And I was giving Blair a little bit of shit before because Blair's opened a Shazzy's account and he was wheeling and dealing on a Shazzy's account. And I'm like, bro, that's such a distraction. I'm like, buy a company you like, delete it off your phone and move on. Where Blair's like in the little sheer casino, buying and selling and checking we'll his return. We have to do a follow-up episode in a year, see how Matt's, what was it called? Like smart investing. No, no, a value investing. Value versus my speculative gamble. <laughs> but it's also the time, you know what I mean? Like you're emotionally invested in that too often yeah like i think people shouldn't have that stuff on their phone like you, you just the information's too accessible yeah, and the difference is with value investing it's sort of you probably put a big chunk of money in that with yes. the speculative investment it's like it's kind of like going to the casino just gamble what you don't mind walking out with none of it just yeah but you don't go to the casino every hour on your phone 
You know what I mean? Like that. That's I don't. I don't know. I'm probably we better being wrap a, this up. I need to go check my stocks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being a bit mean, but I just I I think it's not healthy for people. No, it's not. Mm. Investing. It's that whole Robert Kiyosaki, long, slow, and boring. And if your share market investing isn't that way, unless it is your full time job, you're probably too risky or speculative or emotionally attached to it. So I might go off on another tangent. I actually do think lots of these companies in the stock market are horrendously overvalued. I think their PE ratios are way out of whack. Like there's some companies where they need to trade for 5,000 years at their current profitability just to pay their share value. Like some of the PE ratios are horrendous. Um, And also lots of these CEOs are complete dickheads. Yeah, well like... I can't really name names, but you can't name I, them. But, but as an example, it's just these big listed companies where the CEOs are on like seven to ten million dollars a year. Literally, take the company from being reasonably good to doing worse than it was, and then they leave and pocket their twenty-five million dollars worth of salaries. Tell the envelope story, or should I tell it? You can tell it. Yeah, has that, I'm probably going to butcher. I, it. I could prop. No, I should get it right. So it's more or less a CEO starts a new job at a big listed company. And he sort of goes to the old CEO, uh, hey, mate, just what are, your, what are your sort of words of advice before I start this position? And he said, well, hey, look, if you ever get into trouble, just open my top drawer and there's three envelopes and each one will get you out of a pickle. So then a few months go by, sort of stands up, talks about his new vision for the company, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden he has a few bad months. He goes, shit, it's time to go open this envelope. I need a saving grace. He opens the first envelope and it says, blame the predecessor. So it's essentially blame your old CEO. So he stands up in front of the crowd and goes, hey, look, Barry wasn't as good as he thought. The company wasn't in the position that I thought it was. So that's why we're going through these hard times, but I'm here to fix it. I'm here to solve it. We're going to make it right. And then let's say another three or six months goes by, it's sort of going up, going down, going a bit average. He goes, time to open the second envelope. And I think the second envelope says something along the lines of create a vision or like create a big mission statement for the business. Investment in the business. Yeah. We're investing in the future. And that's the whole speech of, look, we're going to write our roles, we're going to invest in this, invest in getting carbon neutral, invest in new plant, new equipment, new staff. We're going to lay off the dead weights, bring in new energy, take this company from zero to hero. Sure enough, everyone gets rallied up, things go really good for a few months, then it turns back to the usual dog shit that it was before. He's like, right, I need this third envelope. It's been, I need it. Gets to his desk, opens the drawer, opens the third envelope, and it simply says, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> I love that. And that because is that's how, exactly that's how exact, they act. That's just start <laughs> your job, blame your predecessor, wait a bit longer. Okay, create a new big vision, and then, okay, i got to step down. I didn't quite do what I came here to. And like I see, um, I won't name the company, but there's like New Zealand companies where they, they lost like a billion dollars I can't see any accountability. And their share price goes up. I know. It's just madness. Um, but look, I think I'm I'm at the chapter. So from a personal investment point of view, when I started making money, pretty much all of the investment was in myself or in my company, well, our company. Um, then once I made a bit of money and we reinforced our equity position, I then started investing in real estate. Uh, I'm now building a reasonable real estate portfolio. I do want to buy some um, shares just because I want to understand it better. I feel that I feel that it's a quite a big part of the investment world that I don't have as good a grasp on as I should. 
So I do want to create a portfolio and learn about that. Um, and there are some companies that I would love to read their annual reports every three months and see what they're doing. But I'll be buying companies that I like and that I'm happy to own forever. Yeah, and like a good example from my perspective, unless we're not share advisors, is um, like I really like Auckland Airport because COVID happened, the shares fell through the floor, they've recovered, say, 50%. But you sort of go, what is Auckland Airport? Well, it's the big international airport in the biggest city in New Zealand, huge, huge land holdings, very hard to replace, very hard to see it failing. And you go, what should Auckland Airport look like over the next five or 10 years? Is it going to get smaller? Is it going to get bigger? Is it going to have more planes arriving or less planes arriving? And you go, statistically, that should be a growing business over the next five or 10 years. Yeah, that's value investing. And you say, in 10 years' time, would I happily still own Auckland Airport? Yes. And you learn it might go up and down for, I don't know, 20% to 10% a year for the next three or four years of this whole COVID stuff. But it's like any share graph you see, it's never the straight line up or the straight line down. Yeah, agree. It's just the constant little incremental gains um, that go along with it. Property's still better though. Yeah, pro- well, it's kind of like a property graph, but property graphs just go up way more. Mm. And also, like, you can leverage it. Insure it. Yeah. Touch it. Imagine if you bought some shares and then you called your insurance company, you're like, hey, I just bought half a million dollars of shares. Can I insure, insure this so I don't lose half a million ever? And then go to someone, hey, I own this $500,000 worth of shares. Can you pay me $500 a week? Yeah. Or oh, some companies probably do pay a 5% dividend. Not many these yeah, days. Yeah, there wouldn't be many. The dividends are tiny now. Yeah. And imagine going to your bank, being like, hey, I've got 500 grand cash. Can you actually give me 2.5 million shares? Yeah, and they would laugh, They'd at, laugh you. at you. Yeah. Whereas with property, that's all okay. But look, I reckon we'll, we'll do another episode in six months' time and we'll give you an update on our portfolio. Blair will have glowing red eyes because he's checking his, um, his shares happy every four minutes. I'll be relaxed, calm, badass, rich. You know, all those good things. We should actually put away, Dre. We should both get like 10 grand each. And be like, we've got two months. We're not doing ten grand, Blair. We have to. It has to be hundred. Yeah, but I take really risky investments. Man. <laughs> <laughs> what you reckon? A six-month wager, or a GoFundMe page? <laughs> yeah, we could do a. Um, I reckon we do a six-month. We could just be on percentages. It doesn't matter how much you invest. True. Yeah. Portfolio percentage increase. Let's rock. Okay, we'll we'll structure that and we'll give you we'll give you an update. But look, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. Not um, our area of expertise, but um, I think we know enough to be dangerous. We love you guys so much. Thanks for listening. As you know, there is one small payment for this podcast. If you liked it, if you enjoyed it, share it with one like-minded friend. Have an awesome day. You are badass.